Welcome to The Narratives, the podcast that brings you biographies on people who you know or maybe don't know or maybe want to learn more about. Today we're talking about Neil Patrick Harris, NPH for short. Yeah. Though we'll probably just call him Neil just because it's easier. You probably know him from hosting literally everything. And um, you would know him f- just because of who he is. He's a great guy. He's good guy. Here's how we, we would describe him. An amazing, personable, witty, charming character whose reputation precedes him everywhere he goes. There's literally like... I can't think, unless you're super straight and all you do is watch football. Woo! Louisiana you, State! I mean, I guess you've probably seen him on a commercial at some point, too, because he's been in, like, Super Bowl commercials, right? Has he? I'm pretty sure he's got to have been. He watches the Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, so, anyway, that's that's how we I we would describe I don't. I, I think I like... That's how I, way way would describe him. <laughs> <laughs> starting things off with just a little descriptor. Getting a, a personal image, you know? Like, if you knew him? Yes. That's how you would do it. Um, I I guess um, the best way to put it now, every Wednesday we are covering a random person, if you didn't know that. And if you're following us regularly, then um, here's just a few updates right from the bat. So every Wednesday we're doing a, a new person. Next Wednesday we're talking about Billy the Kid. Woo! So that's what you can look forward to. And um, the, our new series is covering... Isaac Newton, Sir Isaac Newton, actually, all the way to <laughs> Sir Neil Armstrong. So that's that's what you can look out for. Now, without further ado, you're listening to the narratives on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or any RSS feed device listener thing that you may have. And let's learn about Neil Patrick Harris. Hey, it's we? me. I have notes to read. Hi. Yeah. So, Neil Patrick Harris was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico, June 15th, 1973. Mm -hmm. He had blonde hair, blue eyes, very, like, Aryan-looking, which he describes himself as. So I'm not a racist. But he says that a lot. He's like, yeah, "Yeah, I got a lot of roles for that, especially later in Starship Troopers. But, spoiler alert. He was born to his mother, Sheila, who he described as a heckin' good mom. Oh, yeah. She was, like, one of the best moms you can possibly imagine. He had a very happy childhood overall. Yeah, like his childhood is, by the way he describes it, is it's like the standard. If you were to think of a, if you were shooting happy, a rom com, this would be the childhood of the childhood. main character. He talks about how his mom, like, um, what's the best way? Like on road trips, scratched his back endlessly. Yeah, he was like, the kind of mom. Who always let like him win games. The whole road trip. Yeah, and then, yeah, always let him win games. Put up with his magic tricks <laughs> and always cheered him on. She called him. Uh, he called her Optimom. Her name was a uh, Opt- Sheila Scott Harris, yeah. by the way. Optimom, like optimism, mom. Optimom, and um, her Optimal his dad mom. was equally awesome. Ronald they, Jean Harris. They loved each other so much. He said everything. that's where he got a lot of his sense of humor because mm-hmm. he would have this ongoing joke where, like, whenever his mom would pass the phone to his dad, his dad would go like, "I don't want to." Oh hi, Neil. Like his entire life, and he still does that all the time. Yeah. He also talks about an incident once where he was like, yeah, sorry, kiddo, I'm not going to be able to be at your birthday party. And he was like, yike. And then he went to school and came back and his dad was there and he built him a whole treehouse. That's, yeah. That's pretty lit. That's as as picket fence life as you get, kids. If you could ever wish for a childhood, it would be Neil Patrick Harris's childhood. He also had a brother whose name was Brian Christopher Harris, who was three years older. He was describing him as like kind of the rebellious kid. He was always like... 
He was like, they had this old abandoned like house nearby that they'd like to hang out in. And he'd mm-hmm. be like, I'm going into a mine shaft, Neil. If anything happens, call the police. Bye. Bye. Yeah, and he also um, did other standard brother things like give Neil his first beer. beer. And apparently yeah. uh, got him hooked up with a makeout session with two with girls. two chicks at once. The was, first and only time. Yeah. He said later. At, at what, like eight years old? Damn, Neil. Also, interesting thing to mention, because the main source I used was his autobiography, it's Choose Your Mountain, so it might jump around a little, but I tried to get it pretty linear, so if there is any jumping around, that's why. Blame Neil. It's his fault. It's um, (laughs) definitely a really interesting take on an autobiography, but it does make it kind of hard to piece together his life, because it's like, oh, all of a sudden, you're 20 years old, and we just got... Six yeah. years old. Yeah. It's when like, the book is in your hand, it's kind of interesting. If you're not like doing it for research purposes, it's mm-hmm. a great read. Yeah. The audio book, same thing. If you're not doing it for research, awesome. But if you are, it's kind of hard to piece everything together. But anyway. So, Eric, I got a timeline here. I'll help you out. Okay. <laughs> Good thing you whisper that into the microphone so no one else knows. Okay. Keep going. Okay. okay. So he was very early drawn to musical theater as a kid, and the first musical he was really acquainted with was Annie. Mm-hmm. I think that was at age... It's probably the first musical I was acquainted with, I wrote, too. I saw Annie at age... So I think he was <laughs> eight or nine. His, his, I forgot to his write parents. the actual age. Really? He saw Annie at age, oh. so that's kind of fun. His, uh, I think it was around, yeah, eight or nine. He's, his parents always listened to uh, Broadway soundtracks. Oh, yeah, his dad played the, the banjo. Yeah, and other music and musical yeah they were a pretty so. musical family but yeah his they always had uh, musicals playing and Annie was one of them and then he went to um New Mexico the, oh, you're a bigger ahead. town no no a bigger town and they they from Albuquerque they went to a bigger town in New Mexico I don't remember where it's yeah but Annie was touring there whoops and um he was like hey look it's Annie I want to go see it and then he listened to the soundtrack over and over and again. he saw it and and they took he him. also was a big fan of uh, Little Whorehouse the best Little Whorehouse in Texas which is not as R-rated as the name suggests yeah that's another musical they listen and to and Les Mis he got really into later on oh yeah um Annie yeah he saw he saw Annie and then he memorized the entire dance scene from It's a Hard Knock Life and then like went and performed that over and over again for his family. Yeah, totally straight. That's totally straight. Hell yeah. His first stage role as actually in a production was as Toto in The Wizard of Oz. He said that he loved everything about it. He loved like putting on all the makeup and (laughs) wiping it off and just jigging a jig all up. But he also like, it's funny because he was talking to the director and he's like, yeah, how come Toto walks on four legs most of the time? But then when I'm walking through the aisles of the audience, I'm on two legs. That's a very odd directorial choice. <laughs> and that's at like age 11. Yeah. It's pretty fun. No, not even yet. He's not even like past. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. He's fair pretty, pretty young. He started noticing things. He's, um, I found it really interesting. He was talking about how he fell in love with theater because he liked the, um, seeing himself change into yeah into this character so like the dog really helped because all of a sudden it was going from like just him to a dog and putting on the makeup and the whole costume and everything and it was like i'm yeah. the dog now sweet and then afterwards <laughs> you take off the makeup and be like yo look at that i'm all makeupy. he also says that he just loved being the center of attention and not in like a narcissistic way but just there's a certain rush you get when you perform yeah that it's it's something you want to chase after i feel that neil i get you neil hard out for that yeah <laughs> did you say hard on for that no hard hard out for that man <laughs> I got a hard on for that. Hell yeah. Thanks, Neil. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. Thanks. 
You did a real good job. At 13, he first heard the London cast recording of Les Mis. Mm-hmm. And he immediately afterwards, he bought the cast album and listened to it, quote, like a thousand times. Yeah. <laughs> That's a direct quote. So. It's funny how his book is written. Like It's almost like you're having a conversation with him, the way his book's written sometimes. I mean, that's, that's a good memoir if you do it like that. Yeah, it's very good. So, yeah, Blay Miz was, he said, was like one of his most... Um, the, Blay Miz is a really good musical. It's it's extremely good. I've like, it's on par it. with... All, well, it's a little bit under Hamilton. Like, nowadays, if, if Neil Patrick Harris was around nowadays, Hamilton would be... Like that kind of spark. Yeah, Les Mis was like Hamilton back in the seventies. It was incredible. Like there was the the music was um, layered upon layered upon layered, and it never stopped. So you could just listen to the cast album and and get a feel for it. But then when he went and saw it the first time, he said he literally had to consciously hold his jaw shut. Yeah, he was like, oh. Even his brother was like, I'm gonna just buy a sweater. This is dumb. And then his brother walking out was like, this was better than a sweater. Yeah. So it's a pretty good review. <laughs> yeah, better than a sweater. It's so he didn't just do crazy. musical theater stuff. He also did a lot of. He was in choir and like all these other little little minor things. He was in band. He was he described himself as like the jack of trades in band. Like if you need a little oboe here, a little tuba there, he'd learn a little bit. <laughs> he just kind of placed him wherever. And this kind of like urge to be the center of attention led him to enter this contest for to present a speech about optimism, which he wrote with his mom, Sheila. Thanks, Sheila. Optimum. Optimum. And he won regional finals with this speech. Like yeah. he went all the way up and eventually got a scholarship to... $1,000. No, just a $1,000 scholarship. $1,000 college scholarship that he never actually used. Yeah. He, he got it, but he never used it because... It's still pretty impressive. He was... I think it was someone on the uh, in regional finals came up to him and he was like, "You be oh no, that was at theater camp." Yeah, no, at that's MSU. that's a little bit later. And he MSU New Mexico. Yep. Yeah. So, um, his he 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 was doing a little bit of um, you know theater stuff because that's where that's where you start out really. Yeah, he's a theater kid, so he's in um, in school. He also really liked magic tricks. He, his magic, the first magic trick I think he said enticed him was when his grandpa did the whole like move a match thing. Yeah. And without touching it, he did like, it's like you need a comb, a match. A cork, a needle, a comb, and that's and it. a match. And then yeah. you just like line it up all perfectly and you can move it without touching it. Yeah. And Neil just like, he describes earlier in his life and even later in his life that he really liked knowing the secrets behind how magic tricks work mm-hmm. and pulling them off really well. So yeah, he's always been It really helped his, um, his acting career. His first magic gig I'd love to talk about because it's kind of funny. He was at this little girl's birthday party. Every trick he's doing works perfectly. So he pulls out the granddaddy. It's like a little finger guillotine looking thing. Uh-huh. So he gets the, the birthday girl to put her finger in there, closes it on her, and the kid's sister just starts screaming because she doesn't <laughs> know it's a trick. And then every girl at the party started screaming at once. And uh, yeah, he didn't get a tip. So, huh. That's funny. Yeah, that it was really, his first magic gig. Yeah. <laughs> It really helped his career, though, because it's like, basically, at this point, he's covered all his bases. He's musically inclined. Yeah. He's um, able to act, both technically and, you know, actingly. He's a very good actor. He's, um, he can do makeup. He yeah. did his own sort of, like, makeup. He he said one of his, um, he did his own makeup for, and this was at, like, 12 years old. He did makeup for, like, an, an yeah. old person. Oh yeah, he was the guy with the corn cob pipe. Going he like, read this well, whole book about how to do makeup, and then he like 
he came up with his own idea to put baby powder in the pipe and you know yeah. all that sort of stage stuff that you kind of need to have a it grasp just, of yeah. the extra little details and then you do magic tricks which is another you know performance aspect you can, yeah he loved performing it was just a and then public speaking again another thing the only thing he didn't and he still doesn't have is like dance training He's no, never he, taken a dance lesson. He does choreography life. a lot, though, for different things. Yeah, but it, fun fact, he's, never, he's taken never taken a, a dance, dance lesson. lesson. Yeah, It just comes naturally to some, I guess. Ever. Yeah. Especially if you're, you know, a little bit flamboyant. Is that controversial or no? No. You can say flamboyant. He's gay. Yeah, I mean. He was just kind of, even as a kid, he was kind of like, I like girls. I'm going to have crush on girls. I mean, and then in the, the back 80s. of his mind, he was like. But guys are okay, too. Yeah. His mom, um, the way he described it is his mom kind of figured the whole time. Because oh, yeah. he'd always he'd always come home and ask about the boys rather than the girls. Yeah. It's, like, did yeah. that boy call home? <laughs> did that boy come home? Did he did he call me? Oh, yeah. Also, Margaret's my new girlfriend. She's yeah, Margaret's uh, totally banging. But how's Scott doing? Where's Scott? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so... That was a lot of his his early life. He's basic, you know. He had a he had a great time as a kid. Yeah, he was just he's, zooming around, happy kid. Yeah, his brother, really really great guy. His you know, everyone in his family was amazing. Exactly to him, like literally idyllic family. But um, as time went on, he got he was told that um, in by his elementary school's teachers, they said, you know, you should continue doing theater in yeah, high school. Both his band and his um, drama teacher both said, you should really pursue an acting color, acting high school. Because yeah. you're definitely going that direction. Like, you have all the main components. But he's like, eh, I don't know, man. Maybe I want to do something else. And so they looked at a bunch of other things. But eventually, yeah. um, he was put into theater camp. At N- M- NMSU, New Mexico... Blah, blah, blah. I don't know the other one. New Mexico theater camp. We'll just call it that. Sure. And um, at that theater camp, turns out there's a a playwright, a who, big shot playwright, who had his own um, his play. Yeah, you know, he was the president of the company or something like that, and he he manages that every year. So he came down, and you know, um, it's all of a sudden this big shot in the play world, and everybody knew. You know, even if they didn't know him before, Mark Medoff was the name of the playwright. All of a sudden, acquainted with this guy, you know, like oh yeah, this and, guy's got to play on and Broadway. He was technically kind of young, too young to go to the camp, mm-hmm. but they pulled some strings. Yeah, so, so he got along with Mark Medoff's daughters really well, also, which kind of made Mark Medoff be like, I like him. Yeah, which later led to his first movie. Exactly. So as with it whoopee. as it comes along, he um, at the very end of the as camp winds down. Mark Menoff talks to Neil Patrick Harris's parents without Neil's uh, knowing, I suppose. Yeah. And is like, hey, um, you know, I'm running this script with Warner Bros. right now. And it's yeah. got this young kid as the character. And It was adapted from a novel. Yeah. And I think that Neil would be a great character to play this. And they're the like, young son David. Whatever. <laughs> said whatever and he's like I'll send you the script whenever we get it finished it's well they weren't like whatever they were like I mean we'll take the script but it's probably not gonna happen like yeah. oh, this kid nah. so all of a sudden you know two weeks later they get a a sealed you know script yeah. with the Warner Brothers stamp on it you know and he was like yo and um, he's it's got the script in it and then he he goes and, and reads through it and he does a few sh- you know rehearsals with he it. does a, a test screening with Mark Medoff mm-hmm. they do an audition video send it off to Hollywood like two weeks later they said yeah baby 
And there he goes. After and then he, they flew him and his entire family out. They paid his airfare. They yep. paid for his vocal trainer later in life airfare. They paid for a lot they of stuff. They paid for the airfare of a tutor. Yeah, that was it. The tutor. Oh, yeah, was Not the like vocal, vocal trainer. trainer. What are you talking about? Anyway, his tutor Whoop. was um, sent out there too. and To work with Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. He was alongside Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg in... Um, that movie. Uh, sorry, I know. That movie. I didn't. I don't think I wrote it down. I've either. got it here. It's um, Clara's Clara's heart. Yep. Yep. With Whoopi Goldberg, um, based on the novel Joseph by Joseph Olson. Sorry. Yeah. So Clara's heart, I think, is about a young girl going missing, and Whoopi Goldberg and Neil Patrick Harris are like the main characters trying it's to find. It's more. It's actually girl. about a like a black housemaid kind of like integrating with this like white family. Is it? It's, it's kind of like a. It's Claire's heart. It's. Huh. I, I know it it's not that one. All right. <laughs> you were a little bit off, but that's fine. <laughs> All right. And he was supposed to be the young kid that like Whoopi Goldberg reached out to, and mm-hmm. Whoopi Goldberg actually wrote a little paragraph in his book like, "I met you when you were young, but you were you already were sharp. I could tell you were going to do great things and we're still pretty good friends. So oh, keep on we... doing what you're doing, David. Yeah. I mean, Neil. <laughs> David so, was his movie character. Um, yeah, he's, he said later on that he, Whoopi Goldberg laid a good example. Oh, yeah. Of, of how to be famous. Yeah. Because being a dick. As you know, I mean, I'm sure you know who Whoopi Goldberg is, right? You should. So, Come on. She's very charming and just very... Lazy, real Mother Abigail type lady, mm-hmm. just very nice. And you can imagine her on set being like, you know, here's what we got to do. We gotta, you know, she taught him a bunch of tricks of the trade. Yeah, she jokes with Neil, stuff and, and she even wrote in the book, she, Whoopi Goldberg, in her little excerpt, she was like, "Yeah, we used to talk about girls a little bit, boys a lot, and uh, <laughs> acting just as much as boys." So after after Claire's heart, this is in uh, nineteen. Fun f- another quick thing I want to talk about in Claire's heart is that uh, upon arriving on set, he was immediately like amazed with all the workings of actually shooting a movie. Oh yeah, like immediately he was like, "What is that piece of equipment? How does that work? I'm gonna read more about that." So he kind of educated himself on how movies are made, and that's by being in one and by good, reading about all the equipment. A which, good director later on, in exactly. His life, right? Yeah, with a series of unfortunate events. Am I right? Woo! But yeah, this is in 1988, Clara's Heart, and uh, just a, a year or so afterwards, after this first success in the movies, it was okay. He, he yeah, it was weird because he describes reviews. it. He's like, I shot this whole movie and I was really excited, and then I went back to school for like a year, yeah. and I was just a kid, and then I got to see myself on screen, and I was like, and then there's one scene he's talking about, like, there's one scene where it's Neil, young Neil Patrick Harris in a red speedo. He's like that image has stayed with me forever. It's yeah. haunted my dreams. Um, but the the same year he got um, a deal and I, I, he accepted it right away because he's you know just a kid for a movie called Purple People Eater. The Purple People Eater, which he describes as you know one of the most embarrassing things. He's Basic summaries: He's like, oh, I'm gonna open this Purple People Eater book. Oh no, I brought the Purple People Eater to life. Yeah, he says it's the worst movie he's ever been in. And, um, and the writer was a total dick to him. Yeah, the writer just f- like a roasted week, him a week before um, they're done filming, so they still have a few scenes to do. Yeah, she, she called him into the, her office and was just like, you know, you're too distracted. You'd never be a good actor. You're so trashy. She was on I set like you. three times. Yeah. First of all, she's like Tommy Wiseau being like, you're bad. 
And at yeah. least he has a Patrick. career better than writing Purple People Eater. Yeah, he's like... And being Bank Teller 1. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, it, it didn't affect him, obviously. But he's he said it gave him an idea of what who not to be. You know, he's got Whoopi Goldberg of, like, a good example. Yeah. And a very bad example of girl who wrote Purple People Eater. He also talks about um, another dickhead in that cast. Excuse my language, Dustin sorry. Dustin Diamond. Um, I think it was him. It's yeah. a dude... He said he went on to write a biography. Oh, yeah. You're right. Dustin Diamond. Uh, about who basically slandered Neil Patrick Harris saying like he, was he like, had this affair, blah, blah, blah. He was like, I stuff. was 10. Yeah. <laughs> what affair? Yeah. I'm 10 years old. He was just all this weird stuff. And he's like, it's pure rumor that and everything. He's just whatever. And he's like, anyway, only 25 people probably bought his book, book anyway. So, so take that, Dusty. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, he so also, he finishes around this time period. We got to go back to the magic. Oh, there's still magic to yeah, be yeah. discussed. And there's theater, so he's in high school theater. Um, yeah, he's doing, doing that. Stuff. But like right in the middle of Clarice Hardy meets Ed Alonzo, who was a magician slash comedian, and he loved hanging out with him and his wife, just checking out all his props because he was a comedian slash magician. So he kind of had like Pee Wee's Playhouse style props, <laughs> like giant couches and stuff. He had a yeah. great time over there. Huh. He also hung out with Penn and Teller at early as 14. He met with Penn and Teller for the first time. That's kind of fun. Who's Penn and Teller again? Penn and Teller, the magic duo? Penn, I don't... Penn Gillette, the tall guy and the never talk guy? I don't... What? The magic people. So. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, well. No, sorry. We'll stone you in the town square later. All right. But right now we got to finish this. Okay. Um... Basically, after that, yeah, he's he's um watching a bunch of musicals and stuff. Being in uh, high school and um, really, um, I don't remember a lot that happens between that and Animal Room. Well, basically, he he gets Doogie Howser. We haven't talked about Doogie Howser at all, which is yeah, what a lot of the old folks know him as. They're like, "Hey, it's Doogie." He's like, "I was so young, please stop." Yeah, (laughs) but he did that for I think it was like five or seasons. It was. And he was taking school the whole time. Like, he'd shoot a scene and then go work on chemistry homework in his trailer. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he was kind of pegged as, like, this yeah, made-for-TV actor. He did 13 made-for-TV movies. And he Yucky. says they all just kind of blur together. Yucky. Yeah. He's like, man in the attic, where he was, like, a young boy lover to this old woman. What? They're just <laughs> weird movies, you know? No it reminds me of um that one uh, kid actor, Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, What's his name Frankie Muniz. That's a, that's another cool guy to talk about because his whole um, yeah racing. accident. And yeah, but that that kind of thing where he basically got stuck in the TV role yeah. for a while. Neil obviously got out of it. Yeah, it took a long he was, time. He's multi talented in you know he was on stage. You know, yeah, it didn't take very long for him to literally get onto Broadway. So so after <laughs> he does all these thirteen TV's movies, the next and major production he's involved in is the two thousand three musical Rent. Yeah, which I have never seen. I uh, before that though, he does actually have a um, oh good like films a lot of stuff. Go ahead. Um, for example, in um, he did concert performances of Sweeney Todd. He played as Tobias Rag. Yeah, he played Toby. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry, my <coughs> my throat just got all weird. Tobias Rag, who's um, a reoccurring main character. Yeah, he's not. It's a supporting character, I suppose. The, the best endowment. It's not the main character. It's not Sweeney Todd. He said the guy who played Sweeney Todd was kind of a <coughs> bumbling idiot, though, because he, like, he was usually a movie-slash-TV actor. Mm. And he was like, yeah, I'll just memorize my lines, like, a week before. 
And then Ooh. the day of, he actually had to have like pieces of the script taped in a teleprompter. He Neil complained so much because he was like, "We had to put a teleprompter inside the pie shop for this idiot." Who, it doesn't. It totally <laughs> broke my concentration seeing this flat screen TV in this pie shop in Victorian era. Flat screen two thousand one. You know what I mean, though. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, 1995, Animal Room was his first role as an adult, but he played as a teenager, so, like... Weird. Yeah. Animal, that's that's one of the um, TV movies. Yeah, that's why. It's in the um, made-for-TV movies. So, these other made-for-TV movies that were out was uh, The Next Best Thing, Undercover Brother, Starship Worshippers, or Starship Troopers, sorry. No, that one's not a made-for-TV movie. It's not? No, that's a very big movie we gotta talk about later. Oh, okay. Um... Oh, sorry. And then uh, there's also the Harold and Kumar uh, version of himself, the stoner comedy yeah. films. Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Yeah, those are later Harold releases. Harold and Kumar escape from later. Guantanamo Bay. Very old, <laughs> very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas there. Yeah, you're jumping ahead way far. Those, those are all... They're um, still on rent. <laughs> sorry. The way the timelines are... Yeah, the book Wikipedia. places it very weird, but... Wait. Um, just, just hold on. I'm gonna trash Wikipedia here for a second. I'm just using it for timeline's sake again, but it's all out of time. And um, here's another thing I learned about Wikipedia just recently: is that if someone, you know, quotes themselves, yeah. or, or is quote, sorry, it's a biased opinion. So, like, if Neil Patrick Harris were to um, write something on Wikipedia and say, you know, this is what I did when I was five years old. This is a thing that happened. It would get deleted from Wikipedia because it's considered a biased opinion. Yeah. And um, you can't have biased opinions on Wikipedia. He actually did, in um, in a more recent Neil Patrick Harris time, I think it was 2016, he did like an undercover on the internet kind of thing. They yeah. They do that all the time. They just create accounts that say like, the real Neil Patrick Harris. Or yeah. The new real Neil Patrick Harris 2. So... <laughs> He went on to a bunch of websites, but one of the ones he went on to Wikipedia, and um, he actually corrected himself, and this is about the same timeline, I guess. He said, um, on Wikipedia, it said he passed high school, or he graduated from high school with like high, very high academic honors, yeah. and then he went into Wikipedia and said, um, actually, I really wouldn't call it passing high school, because all the answers were fed to me, and basically, my tutor gave me the information that I needed to know on the exam, yeah. as in A, B, C, D file format. <laughs> so, and he wrote that on the Wikipedia, and of course it got removed, and then someone else had to put in the the whole, yeah. I, that fact. Like, it's just dumb. So get it together, Wikipedia. But yeah. now, back to the timeline. So I mentioned Rent, but actually before Rent, it's the 90s. Neil Patrick <laughs> Harris is asked to present an award at the Magic Castle. Which, if you aren't aware, is like one of the largest magic headquarters in all of the United States. You have to be dressed, if you're a male, in a full suit. If you're a woman, in a cocktail dress. Always. It's very, very, very formal. It's like um, anywhere fancy, though. He was like, if you present this award, we will give you a lifetime membership to the Magic Castle. And he was like, (laughs) yeah, I'll do it. I always wanted to be in the Magic Castle. (laughs) So he does that. He gets a full-time subscription. But then later, he takes a break from Magic because he has to do Rent in mm. 2003. And after Rent, I don't have a lot about Rent. So, I mean, it's pretty basic. <laughs> you just don't like Rent. I don't know anything about it. It's, it's actually an opinion. It's not pretty basic. It's very influential in his life. Don't he said, on. like, this is, like, 
one of the biggest changes he ever went through in his life was from rent, basically. In his autobiography, he didn't really talk about it much. So yeah, he I talked didn't. about it a lot. Well, you didn't read. <laughs> I guess because you were reading. Guess the, it's in the, the last ten minutes. You were <laughs> yeah. you were doing the audiobook, so you probably skipped over it. Mm, right, because right. it's a choose your own audio thing. No audio, you don't get to choose. You just listen. I know, but there's different paths that he did. Okay, talk we'll talk about, about right? rent then. So there's um. It, because I was reading it and there's a huge section on Rent. Go ahead. That's what I was I'm, Read. Um, Font. So Tobias, he played, again, the musical theater scene. He played Tobias Rag and Sweeney Todd in 2001. In 2002, he profi- uh, performed alongside Anne Hesch in Proof. Ugh. In 2003, he played Cabaret. Yeah. Um, after that, he... Uh, Cabaret he really enjoyed because he was free to roam around the crowd and he, he said he really enjoyed messing with the audience mm-hmm. but he couldn't complete the whole run because he was stomping around in these combat boots all the time and he actually gave himself like fractures in his legs Oh, geez. so he had to stop halfway through the run which is kind of a fun fact about Cabaret hmm. um, yeah he was also in St- uh, Stephen Sondheim's Assassins and more recently you know he he was um, he played in Company in the New York um, yeah, New you York missed, 2011 um, company one. You missed the in the Paris letter. It was the first show he ever did full frontal nudity. I think it's the only one he ever did full frontal nudity in, which it was makes. I mean, that there's one not a lot of for him personally. Shows that do nudity. No, I can't. So I, I've never seen a show with nudity. I know you have at least once. What? I remember you told me that story about the naked chick in the bathtub on stage. Oh no, that was someone else told me that story. Oh, I thought that was you. No, fake news. So and assassins was interesting because they were going to premiere assassins and then 9-11 happened oh yeah so they delayed it and then the president was coming so they couldn't really advertise it that much because they didn't want big signs that said like Mm -hmm. assassin all over the place this was um yeah a revival of it too yeah by stephen sondheim he worked a lot with stephen sondheim yeah he met him a couple times too yeah it's basic like um stephen sondheim as we if you've listened to the stephen sondheim episode then you know yeah of course you know um but if you haven't then he's the top figure in musical theater history, basically, as as of now. Yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda's kind of up there now, but Stephen Sondheim's written so many musicals that are so many good musicals, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, he's written a and lot of great so musicals. so complicated, and they need professional, talented actors. Yeah. And performers and musical people to I'd love to watch Assassins, because just based on the title, it sounds cool. It's, I know what it's, it's about, but it's, it sounds awesome. Yeah. But um, he's in uh, the touring version of Rent. So in Rent, he said he he really liked the the um, the musical the first time he saw it yeah. because it's a strange mixture of characters. But when he was in Rent, he he enjoyed it even more because he got to play his own character in this sort of freedom. So he got to build his own sort of. Uh, character and he was playing as the narrator so the main character or one of the main there's two main characters so um he was playing as the narrator and he got to really take that off and he Mm. said he really enjoyed it um because the the cast was was um very open to everything so they were oh yeah super open to you know gay actors and there was no problem about that and I mean, this is two thousand and three. So he wasn't openly gay. I think at this time he no. his public statement was like one person asked once, and he was like, "I might be bi." That's as know. far as it went at that point. Yeah, in time. nobody really knew. So he, and he was very. Um, people would have suspected he's like closeted. I suppose. 
Yeah. He was, well, he was very, later in him. his life in 2005, he got very scared about the whole. Well, with a good reason. Yeah. Because, I mean, coming America, out back it was then, still not even legal. Gay marriage wasn't in any of the no. states. When he so, came out, there was, he thought it was going to be, oh, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. So, basically, it's a super um, friendly and open group. And he said he flirted a lot with both the men and, and the, the females of yeah. the cast. So, yeah, why not? And he, um, he was able to just grow musically and, you know, theatrically. And also as a person through through these people. It's like a, a standard theater class kind of thing. Yeah. You know, if you've ever been in drama class. You just click with certain people. Yeah. Like you have a group of colleagues and you really get along and you want to perform together. Yeah, so that's... That's part of what makes shows good is people that actually get along. Exactly. That's that's how Renth went for him. Uh, I think the next big thing, if we're done with the musicals, is to talk about How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, How I Met Your Mother was definitely after Rent. His uh, 2004? His audition for How I Met Your Mother, he, a good friend of his wrote it. I think her name was Pam something. She wrote it, sent him a script, and he was like, yeah, I'll do the pilot just as a favor to my good friend because I don't think I'm going to get this role. Like, it's a super straight, like, ultra straight guy. It's yeah. kind of like isn't me at all, but I'll do the audition, whatever. <laughs> he said he just kind of did it recklessly, and the audition was a game of laser tag, which is fun. Really? And he was just like, well, I guess we'll just play laser tag i'm just gonna pretend i'm not even auditioning so he's just playing laser tag they're like okay we'll call you back if we want you two weeks later they're like hey uh can we do like a actual filmed audition he's like oh so they like my reckless style huh i'm gonna go even bigger so at the end of his audition he adds this dive roll into the laser tag game that you can actually see in the pilot episode if i met your mother i'm pretty huh. sure they oh yeah 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 He's like yeah. doing dive rolls and stuff with laser tag. Yeah. And they cast him for the role. And he got to work with um, a friend of his since childhood. Uh, one the, the She plays Lily on the show. I can't think of her real name right now. No, I can't. But um, she's awesome. Uh, he described her as like the perfect mix of serious and funny. Yeah. Just like very able to differentiate the lines. And apparently he did a lot of bonking on the How I Met Your Mother. Oh, you know he was bonking. Yeah, I mean, he's a super attractive dude. So yeah, he's an women attractive man. Like, yeah. And, uh, and he was like, like, why not? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. How I Met Your Mother was really, really neat. But that was his... Nine like, years. That's longer than the Bush administration. Yeah. And arguably less less horrible to the whole country. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it was pretty good. Yeah. I And also interesting, the guy... Oh, what's that dude's name? He's married to Lily in the show. Barney? Nope. That's him. Yeah, that's him. Uh I don't remember. I think his name's like Marshall. Yeah, Marshall. Yeah, that guy later on, he's talking to Neil Patrick Harris, who Neil Patrick Harris was a massive fan of the Muppets. And so was this guy. And he's basically oh, yeah, he said, said, I want to reinvent the Muppets. I want to like create it for a new generation, which he later wrote and starred in the Muppet movie that came out a while ago. And <laughs> he kind of like relaunched the Muppets for a whole new generation, which was awesome. He said, uh, um, and his, there's, uh, there's a video on youtube i think it's fox and there's something like that they do 76 yeah. questions but and so they were taking him it was like a video tour of his house in harlem as well as just constant questions mm. and one of them was you know who's your who's your hero who do you look up to and he said jim henson yeah actually so yeah, jim he loves the muppets is and that's respectable jim henson jim henson's an amazing guy. human did so, a lot of good work uh that's that's who his hero is he's also little just fun facts as we're going on about that he's um his office super neat it's just shelves covered in stuff and, the, and they're like what is the coolest thing in this office neil and he's like the coolest thing 
is my Tony Award because it spins and he just like is playing with the Tony Award. <laughs> it's pretty fun. He also um he said that he over time working on How I Met Your Mother he got a lot of like he influenced the wardrobe quite a bit. He said that he <laughs> wanted people to watch How I Met Your Mother like now and be like he's a sharp dresser even today. So he wore mostly suit suits. Up. Yeah, and he also first introduced the timeline of. He basically started doing this thing where he'd just, like, look over at Robin every once in a while. Like, check out her ass as she's leaving the bar, you know. Uh-huh. Basic stuff. And then the writer saw what he was doing and actually wrote the ending of How I Met Your Mother based on him Neat. looking at Robin. Because huh. if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert. Oops. Um, it's the don't final wedding. It. Why? Because it's so old. Okay. All right. Spoiler alert if you don't want to. I just said spoiler spoiled. alert on just... How I Met Your Mother. Pause yep. for the next f- five seconds. <laughs> The final wedding at the end of the show is between Barney and Robin, which is like a huge point. All right, welcome back. Thanks for thanks for pausing for that. But yeah, he had a lot of influence on How I Met Your Mother, and he's mm-hmm. also gaining confidence just as an actor. Yeah, so. he's. I mean, this is still he's um, like in his thirties now. Yeah, he's doing really well. So, it, it really interesting. He's stolen a lot of stuff from the set of How I Met Your Mother too. He's got the yeah. one booth that they always sit in, in his yeah. house, literally just hanging out. It's um, kind of fun. And a bunch of other stuff. I don't know what else, but it's all over the place. You know, around this time, he also meets uh, David Burka at um. It was backstage at a theater event. He met him, but he was in a relationship at the time. Mm-hmm. But he basically just threw out the vibe like, hey, I'm interested in you. And later he'd get the chance because he broke up with his boyfriend and they started a relationship. Heck. Yeah, that's kind of fun. Um, They... But that kind of led to challenges later on because basically he talks about like every time I went to a red carpet event, I'd have to drive with David because I love him because he's a good boy all the way to the event. And then I'd have to walk down the red carpet alone and David would have to like sneak in through the back because he was afraid of being outed as gay. And um, basically people kept on noticing this, that there was this guy with him, but never when he was on the red carpet. And then as soon as he was inside, he had this guy on his arm. People just began wondering, like, are you dating? A bunch of blog posters kept on posting stuff like, oh, is yeah. Neil Patrick Harris gay? And then Perez Hilton, the dick. Not Paris Hilton. Perez. Perez Hilton, the male yeah. model, basically said, um, anyone who has slept with Neil Patrick Harris, please come to me with proof. Yeah. Which he apologizes for in the book, but I mean, I don't yucky. know if you can make up for that. No, that's pretty yucky. His apology was very heartfelt, but at the same time, still kind of a dick. Yeah. So he was basically forced to come out as gay, and he was worried. Well, I mean, it, on in hindsight, he said it wasn't really forced, but and he shouldn't have but, thought, got so overwhelmed. No, by he was it a because, little paranoid, but that's reasonable. Yeah. Because yeah. he was, I guess, by this time he knew he was gay. He was having gay yeah. relationships. He was with David. He wanted to be with David for many, many moons. So he eventually. The first time he publicly said he was gay was in People magazine. Mm-hmm. And he talks about, like, I was so worried there was going to be press at my door and people were banging on the walls and I got home and nothing. Yeah. <laughs> no one cared. It's really funny. He said he released, uh, he sent the, purposefully sent it in on Friday. Oh, yeah. So that nobody would talk about it. So that the they couldn't talk about it all week. Yeah. So they'd forget about it over the weekend and then on Monday there wouldn't be a problem. And work like a charm. But yeah, basically it's just, you know, he's like, I'm happy with the man I'm with. Yeah. That's really all you need to know about it. You, you can read read about it more if you really want to, but other than that. He also did a lot of good work for basically MTV. There was a problem at the time with a lot of like gay youth committing suicide over being bullied. Mm. So we very quickly impromptu just did a FaceTime video for MTV 
basically saying like it gets better. <laughs> There's no need to act out like this. As soon as you get older, people are gonna be more interested in who you are as a person as opposed to your like your sexual orientation. Yeah. And he did a he did a lot of good work for that. Yeah. So he's a very guy. he's a great gay rights advocate. And, and he was there's a lot of um, personal stuff that he said he was very worried about. like yeah all um he was always worried still about in public being seen about stuff like this and it became increasingly difficult when he wanted to have a um he and David yeah. wanted children they said they um both they used aliases in hospitals and stuff yeah. snuck in it was Jack and, um, and Sydney. Uh, something. something yeah <laughs> it was funny though but they always they always snuck in different times and super super paranoid about this stuff and because yeah. they were worried like everything is now like look at that cute gay couple aren't they yeah. just perfect everyone look at them <laughs> so when they had their in 2010 when they were looking for their um some surrogate, surrogate mother basically yeah because they didn't find any they um, were looking through and they were like, these women don't really uh, fit the bar. But then they found one that they thought would work. Yeah. She was a very nice lady. Can't remember her name. They almost got through the entire process of like actually inserting into the egg. And then her dad was like, no, you're not allowed. That is my daughter. She will not be doing this. And Neil was like, well, uh, Neil and David both were like, why? What the hell? We're like at the final stage. Mm. And basically. It costs a lot of money too at this point. And the reason that they couldn't sue is because the her dad was like a large medical physician somewhere mm. and suing him also would have outed the fact that they're trying to have children. Yeah. So he didn't do that. He just found an even better, hotter woman. Yeah. Which he jokes about in the book. He's like, it's total babe. It's total babe. awesome girl. She and was uh, so yeah. good. He hired basically... Um, <laughs> they both had he, he said it in the book he he found a certain profession of bodyguard kind of thing yeah where they protect against gay people who having children paparazzi basically i'm pretty sure that was a joke but yeah but like that's that's kind of funny the, the idea that they were hide you know and they had so much um and they got very very lucky again with this because both of their sperm counts were above average and both of the testosterone levels were above average i, I yeah in the book he's got a really funny so, like, um, so mine's higher than David's? Yeah. Yes. Like, That's funny so because I'm, I'm... So I'm more masculine than you? you? Know, no. Yeah. But I am, though. It's yeah. on the sheet. Yeah. No. <laughs> he does... It's, it's just... And they also got super lucky because they had twins. One was genetically yeah, they both David's. One was genetically it. Neil's. And they were one boy, one girl. Yeah. It was like the perfect split. The pull. Yeah. They're basically. Gideon and... Uh, Harper. Harper. Thank you. Gideon and Harper. Both he born wanted, in 2010. Um, October... Twelfth, oh, two thousand. No. Actually, he wanted them uh, very close to ten, ten, ten. He's, yeah, he, he was, was like, like we perfect do it ten. ten, ten, ten. That's a that's a perfect. And they were like, score. you have to keep the baby in the womb for as long as possible. And he was like, oh, <laughs> ten, ten, twelve is okay, though. Yeah. So they're born. So Gideon and Harper, yeah. um, eight years old now. Yeah, they're eight years old now. I almost actually. It's, wow. No, never mind. October, In the book, he's done. like, they are three years old. Let me repeat that. They are three years old. You know how crazy that is for me? Yeah. And he's he keeps like, he wa- he wanted to write like about their like first steps and first words, but he's like everything kind of blurs into like a continuum. Yeah, it's hard. To it's hard to write about each individual incident because that'd be a whole different book. Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing is um, oh. David actually had already experienced um, yeah, children. Basically, he already had children. So he he was really experienced, but Neil was like super inexperienced. Oh, one thing I don't know. We gotta go back because yeah, I just go. remembered a big thing with the whole uh, rainforest and 
stuff. Yeah, we gotta talk about that. I'll oh, let Eric take it away. Are we talking about Sir Elton? No, I will later then. Okay. So, um, what, what I was going back to, I just remembered. So their honeymoon, um, Costa Rican rainforest. Yeah, it was a beautiful, really cool honeymoon that they they remember having. Um, but basically, the the important the big, bits that you yeah. need to know about um, as it built up over time, they they were having like this super fun, basically in a tree top. Re- in a treehouse, yeah. Yeah, but then um, they were offered to go zip lining. Hey, you want to go zip in the dark, basically? Me and my super hot friend want to know if you two guys want to go zip lining. Yeah, and so they went zip lining, and they got super smashed. They had a yeah. bunch of alcohol, space and cakes, a, a bunch of weed. At the same time. Yeah. And they're like, this is the most fucked up we ever been. And then David's like, I gotta go pee. So he takes a step off of the 20, like 20 foot platform onto the ground. Yeah. And Neil said it was one of the most terrifying things of his life. Yeah. Well, fair enough. Because he really thought he was dead. And then he goes down there and, and it's just David being like, I, I lost a flip flop. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, how are you alive? Yeah. It's also, crazy. we gotta go back. During the same time that Neil and David are trying to have a kid, they're... They're vacationing in Greece. I uh, can't remember the exact name of the place, but <laughs> basically they're vacationing and they go, um, they're just laying on this gay nude beach. They're not <laughs> nude because Neil Patrick Harris again was paranoid that his dick pic would get in the news, Oof. which fair enough. And he's laying there and he's like, is, is that guy over there? That's that's uh, David. That's Sir Elton John's husband, David something. They're like, sir we got to go John? meet him. Sir Elton John. Yes, he's a sir. I didn't know he was a sir. If you say Sir Isaac Newton, I'm going to say Sir, Isaac, sir Elton John. Oh, okay, fair enough. So they meet Elton John's husband. They become really close friends. And um, they eventually go and meet Elton John himself at his house. Hell yeah. And at attendance at this event were um, Bono <laughs> at the same time, just there. Oh, hi, Bono. And basically they had these like two servants. I don't want to say servants, but butlers. And they were yep. literally asked them for anything and they'd get it. Neil Patrick Harris said, uh, I asked him for a cappuccino. And before I could finish saying the word cappuccino, there was a cappuccino in my hand. Huh. It was insane. And Elton John came out in like this diamond encrusted robe. And he was like, hey guys, what's going on? It's me, Elton All John. right, dinner time. Yeah. And then later, Elton John goes to Neil Patrick Harris's house to watch the Super Bowl. Yeah. It's kind of fun. He's got his bodyguards, and then Sir Elton John just looks at me. He's like, what up? Well, let's watch some Super Bowl. Yeah, they're Sits good buddies. in his bright yellow suit yeah. to watch the Super Bowl. He's actually got a, a, a portrait of Elton John hanging in his house. Um, Neil Patrick Harris. I would, too. It's it's a it's Elton the, John's an amazing human. We've got to cover him. cover with the, he's sitting on the, he's like looking out in the pink sunglasses, I think. In Goodbye Yellow pink. Brick Road? No, no, no. It's like, uh, it's very red and pinkish. That doesn't help me. Yeah, it doesn't help. But that's that's the one. He's got the portrait of that hanging out. And um, in the 76 Questions video, they're like, what's Elton John like in real life? He's like, uh, Elton John's one of my favorite people. He's really cool and also kind of crazy. He's an insane dude, but he's very, yeah. very nice. Yeah. It was also funny because basically they were in like this, I think it was Brooks Brothers. And Elton John was like, hey, Neil, pick out anything you want. He was like, you mean anything I want? I'm like, yeah, anything you want. He was like... Neil was like, I settled on an $800 suit jacket because I didn't want to get the $1,700 one. It seemed like a dick. <laughs> like, that's Yo, funny. that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but uh, basically, we're nearing the end of, of his career. So we covered his whole um, beginning with Doogie Howser and all that stuff. That's well, not what, the end of his career by yeah. far. No, no. He's still got a ton going on. Um, but this more recently, the... he's he did... Um, Hedwig and the Company. Angry Inch, I want to talk about a little bit later. Uh, 2014, I think. 
company he did. Yeah. Um, that was in the middle of How I Met Your Mother, actually. He wanted to. He still wanted to do theater in How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. And he said it kind of didn't work out so well. Like, it was one of his lesser shows. I mean, it was in New York, but yeah. The first time he did a full run-through, like, knowing all of his lines, was opening night. <laughs> so he was kind of, like, rushed. Yeah. Uh, company, it's a really cool. You can actually watch the performance of him um, on YouTube, I believe. It's There's just, like, a few clips of him doing stuff. Oh, I just realized what company was. Yeah. I've just been writing it down and thinking about it. I just remembered what company is. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah, it's a really great musical. He was also in another... He did an audio recording of Stephen Sondheim's um, Uh, Evening Primrose. Yeah. Which is another really cool... um, He's done a lot of other... Sondheim stuff, but... Yeah, he's done a lot of other small things, like a Circus Awesomeness was like a comedy special thing Mm -hmm. that he did, which was kind of cool. More recently, he's the president of the... The Magic Castle. And funny how that happened is basically they were like, hey, uh, you should be on the board of directors. You don't have to do like any work. You just kind of like come in once a month and we just kind of talk about the issues. He was like, okay. And then as soon as he's on the board, hey, you should be the vice president. You don't really have to like do much unless the president resigns. Okay. And then the president resigned. (laughs) Well... Now I got to deal with all the financial issues going on with the Magic Castle. Yeah. Because they were basically, they were almost threatening foreclosure. Oof. So he had to, he retrained the entire front of house staff. (laughs) He did a whole lot of different things. He got whole new valet systems because the other valets were irresponsible, quote unquote. Oof. Yeah. But he did a lot of great things with the Magic Castle. And then uh, most recently, we have series of unfortunate events yeah which is a netflix special it's directed and produced by neil patrick harris it's so good so it's his own personal investment i love it so it's, much it's an amazing um revamp of the basically it puts the uh what's his name jim carrey's Harry, yeah version to shame like it's ugh, like i still like jim, jim carrey's, carrey's version but jim neil Car- patrick harris did it a million times better yeah he actually NPH it should have been a, a the TV series because of how long. The yeah, really. He, they tried to cram yeah. like 12 books into a movie. But. Uh, a few interesting things. Um, the TV series, he was asked if what the timeline was. And and he said it's supposed to be non-timeline. Because yeah. for one, they weren't they shouldn't be able to just use the cell phones to get out of the issue. which So like they can't have personal devices to... Yeah, of course. Out. And it can't be too old that there can't like no cars or anything like that so it's kind of like old timey i guess it's but other than that that's that's the timeline again like if you ask what timeline it is i couldn't tell you yeah he said old timey that's it yeah like the cars are all like i'm gonna guess 1940 ish but there's still some stuff that's like earlier and later yeah it's they mash up a lot of different things uh he wrote the uh intro scene theme for that he did? The, the whole oh, he sings away, it. Yeah. Look, look away. I'm pretty sure he wrote that. Um, I would be although surprised. It's not, but yeah, he's he definitely had an influence on it. And, you know, as he, he's gone through, he got to influence young child actors as well. The um, actors who play Violet and Klaus yeah. are, are very talented. Oh, obviously. I would like to say that Klaus is actually way more talented than Violet. But them's fighting words. That's, that's what I've noticed. If you have a different opinion, hit me up. Um, but yeah, he gets to influence young child actors now as well. And he also he talked about wanting to do like more children entertainment, which is where the Smurfs movies come in. And um, he said it was really interesting acting among like things that aren't there because they basically just have like a dot on a table and they're like, okay, in this scene, Papa Smurf is gonna be telling you the business, and you just have to go like, hmm, huh. Uh huh. 
to yeah. nothing. <laughs> Gross. Smurfs 2 was a lot more challenging because they had a lot more like physical stunts. Like he's hanging off a building at one point. Just, huh. Not worth talking about Smurfs. right now. He's the yeah. main character in this. Interesting. Movie. Except for the Smurfs, obviously. Okay. <laughs> well, And he got to work along uh, Hank Azaria, who's an amazing actor. You might know him as the voice of Moe on The Simpsons right now. He also has some voice acting credits, though they're not as... Um, Such as Steve the Monkey from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. And uh, he was in Batman comics something. What? Not the comics. He was he did a Batman. <laughs> uh, I was just reading about that. Who would he play in Batman? He... Let me, let me get this voice acting. Maybe... Uh, Dick Grayson, Nightwing, in the animated oh. Batman under the Red Hood. Okay, that makes and sense. And Beagle from Cat and Dogs, Revenge of Kitty Galore, which is... Oh, I remember that movie. You know. Cat versus Dogs, hell yeah. yeah. Up top. And um, now, the most recent thing uh, in, in his life, he's obviously going through... I, I imagine they're doing post-production of season three now of... I hope the, so. The um, series of unfortunate events. But... Uh, yeah, they must be because he's been able to have time to write his two new books, his children's books. Last year, he wrote the first one for Christmas, which was The, the Magic, Magic Misfits. Misfits. Um, and is now the second, the, he's got the second book out, which came out later this year at some point. And they're the best-selling children's books of the year so far. I'm the still Magic amazed Misfits. you don't know who Penn and Teller are. I, no, I don't know. The Yeah, The Magic Misfits, They he describes it as... Um, really great experience for him he loves um the ability i suppose of writing a story and then being able to like tell that story to his kids and get feedback on it because his kids are just bright age yeah that'd be kind of fun so he's that's that's his main inspiration was he wanted to have a share stories that he shares with his children with the world kind of thing so that's very noble goal uh some Advice he gives, uh, which I think is one of the best um, advice that uh, you can have for acting. Yeah. He says, um, do acting because you love it, not because you want to get famous, and prepare for a lot of letdowns. Yeah, acting is mostly rejection. Yeah. You just got to stick it out. If you can't handle rejection, don't be an actor. Yeah, (laughs) that's the best way to put it. He's... um, a great guy, really. Very amazing human. And uh, again, this is this is stuff that we went and found details for you. Like you, you can't find. He really describes. I've never really read about someone like coming out before, mm. so that was kind of interesting for yeah, me to read about all that kind of stuff. It. He describes that very well. Yeah. So most of the stuff you won't be able to find on Wikipedia. You probably won't be able to find. Go buy his book. A lot. Yeah. Uh, if you really Neil Patrick want more Harris, choose your own autobiography. Yeah. It's worth the read. Go to the public library. Yeah, go hit up the Give library. Give it a rent. Check out the library. And uh, yeah, that's Neil Patrick Harris's life. Till now, of course, we'll be probably in, you know, We'll do an addendum future. if something cool happens. Yeah, in the future, we'll we'll cover him again, probably. Oh, so, I guarantee it. Um, hopefully by then, we will be able to interview him. Oh, Neat. man, please. So, pretty, pretty, please. Uh, without... Without anything more to say about it, because that's basically we're up there. Man, you got um, all the info, kiddo. You listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, if you want to check out some updates, you can head on over to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at yeah. The Narratives. And um, also, you can check out Eric's Snapchat. Yeah, I'm mostly on Twitter. I kind of stopped Twitter. using Snapchat because it's a 
horrible platform for horrible people. Mm. But still, check out Twitter. Check out everything. I'm, we both have individual Twitters and have Narratives Twitter. So Yeah, just go to Narratives Twitter if you really want to know. Yeah, that's where the, all the fun stuff is. But uh, Next week, Wednesday, you're looking at Billy the Kid. Came and to uh, town. this Sunday, we have uh, Sir Isaac Newton at 10 a.m. And at 11 a.m., we're doing a Remembrance Day special. We're going to talk about Remembrance Day. It's important stuff. Hmm. So. Cool, adios. Adios. Bye, thought. I mean, my.